right, we are back. That was The Shelters with Rebel Heart. We'll listen a little more to that later on. Standing by to join us is Kenneth Miller, author of War Torn, Stories of Courage, Love, and Resilience. Good morning, Kenneth. Good morning. Thank you for calling in. Sure. Your book is really timely, obviously, and uh, tell me how you decided to write this. Uh, I was living and working in Guatemala years ago, uh, working on a mental health project for uh, Mayan Indians in in the mountains there, and it was uh, a life-changing experience uh, seeing the impact of war on, on, on these folks who were really uh, just impoverished Indians trying to uh, just live their, live their lives as farmers. And, and uh, the Guatemala, Guatemala Army came through the highlands and, and raised about 600 villages, chased half a million people into exile. Oh. And I got involved at the tail end of that and got involved with a, an expressive arts mental health project working with these communities. And it was such an extraordinary experience for me being immersed in this completely different culture, and yet seeing beneath the surface how alike uh, how alike we were in many ways. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, out of that experience, I ended up uh, continuing to work for about a year in refugee camps in Mexico with Guatemalans. I directed a clinic for two years with Bosnian refugees in Chicago. I ended up working in Afghanistan and Iraq and Sri Lanka. And out of all these experiences, uh, a number of themes began to emerge, one of which is uh, that we are uh, more alike than we're different, despite these extraordinary cultural differences, and that the things that can be powerfully helpful and healing to people you see in almost every culture, um, and that there's a tremendous amount people can do to be helpful to uh, uh, civilians affected by war, and uh, and it's interesting because in the in the literature on 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 the effects of war, it's almost all about soldiers and veterans, and that's really really important. Right. But the vast majority of people affected by war today are not soldiers. They're not they're not armed combatants. They're everyday folks caught up in the middle of of armed conflict, and their stories are missing. Yes. So. Out of all of these experiences over about 20, 25 years, I, I realized I wanted to help create more space for the experiences and the voices of people affected by war uh, who weren't actually part of the fighting. Mm-hmm. Sure, the people that are not actually the soldiers, but everybody else. Exactly, exactly. And I also, I, you know, it sounds like a very dark theme. And of course, when you're, when you're writing about war, you're going to write about some very dark stories. But what has kept me involved with the work uh, and what I wanted to also convey is that there is extraordinary uh, resilience and light and uh, even humor, uh, uh, sometimes very dark humor, in the most intense places. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I recall a time I was in Iraq uh, a few years ago. I was leading a a workshop uh, for aid workers who were just devastated by the work they were doing. Some of them had been kidnapped multiple times. Some had been, uh, you know, tortured by the Iraqi National Guard. And, you know, we're, we spent about f- uh, five days together. And the two interpreters, these wonderful uh, Iraqis, one was Muslim, one was Catholic, uh, these two big men, uh, they, they heard that I had a snake phobia. I don't remember how that came <laughs> out, which is a bit of an unfortunate phobia for someone who does a lot of work in the tropics. Yes. But he, he, uh, they, one morning they came in with a, a photograph of a giant viper 
and they they cautioned me to uh, be really careful in my morning runs because the viper was in the mountains where the uh, where the workshop was being held. Oh, there were nice. a lot of them. So the next morning, I'm out running in the hills, and uh, and every stick, every twig of looks course. like a, a poisonous snake to me. <laughs> and by the time I got back to the hotel, I was a wreck. Of course. And <laughs> in the back of my mind, I something looked familiar about that photograph. And I, I got online, I looked it up on Google, and sure enough, it's a big internet hoax. Oh, and they pulled no. it off, and they printed it out. <laughs> and when I confronted them, you know, they just couldn't stop laughing. They thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And then I started laughing, and everyone in the workshop did. And that's when it suddenly hit me that this laughter yes. was how they got through. Right. That these practical jokes and, and playing games was, it was an antidote to the just horrors that they dealt with on a day-to-day -day basis in war. And I've seen this everywhere I've gone, in Bosnia and Afghanistan. Some of the funniest people I know are people who use humor. Uh, I wouldn't call it exactly a healing resource. I don't no, know that it gets you across the river, yes. but it certainly takes the edge off, and it's it's an antidote to the darkness of everyday life in war. Right. Well, it's a little cathartic if you can find any bit of humor in anything, you know. Absolutely. You have an interesting uh, background because you're a researcher, clinician, organizational consultant, and filmmaker. It sounds like you wear so many different hats and you can see things from different perspectives which i would think would be invaluable i think the the what unites all those things is that i love stories mm -hmm. i am uh, i am captivated by people's stories and in my experience uh and this just came through learning over time uh there's something very powerful about uh listening to people's stories it it, it can be a healing experience for people to have their, their difficult experiences listened to, acknowledged, believed. You know, I, 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 what always comes to mind is actually a fairly recent experience. A few years ago, I was leading a, a, a training for journalists in, uh, in southern Turkey. These were all young Syrian journalists. And there was a young man there who's a, a young journalist, but also just a gorgeous musician. He plays a four-string Kurdish instrument called the Sav. And he, he showed up a bit late and quite shaken up to the workshop. And we got to talking a bit later, and he, he told me the story of how to get to the workshop, he couldn't get to a legal crossing from Syria into Turkey. So he, he paid a smuggler to get him over the fence oh. illegally. Oh. And ten times in a row, uh, the Turkish border guards caught him and chased him back. Only the tenth time, they actually they physically caught him. And for about an hour, they just beat him close to death. They fired gunshots just over his head. Uh, they threatened to kill him. And he was a bloody mess. And finally, they dropped him over the barbed wire fence. Well, this extraordinary young man, his, his family sent him some money, and he paid a smuggler, a better smuggler, and for the 11th time, found a safe way over just so he could get to this journalist training. And... I was so moved by his story. He was quite quite shaken up by the experience, as you can imagine, being in the middle of a dark, muddy, frozen field uh, while, while these soldiers were kicking him, punching him, aiming their Kalashnikovs at him, and, and then shooting, but not quite hitting him. And he hadn't told anyone about this, so I took him out to dinner, and we just spent hours talking about this experience. And anyway, a couple of days later, I was back in Amsterdam, uh, and I got a, a beautiful text message from him thanking me for, um, for listening to his stories. There was something about sharing the stories that unburdened him. And for the first time, he'd been able to sleep without 
uh, dreaming of that horrible night in the field, and it, it was as if he released something. Yes. I didn't do anything extraordinary or unusually skillful that anyone couldn't do. We can all listen. Um, but I think we, we often underestimate the extraordinary power of just listening to other people in our lives when they, when they have something difficult to share. And that's really what I've spent my career doing, well, whether it's through uh, filmmaking or, or anything else. Let, let me interject something, Kenneth, because I think that something that makes you stand out is you show compassion. There's one thing to listen, and there's another thing to show compassion. I think that's why people want to open up to you. It's interesting you talk about compassion because I do think you're right. We were, we were talking earlier about themes in the work and in the book, mm -hmm. and I do think there's something about compassion that is one of the few very universal things I've seen everywhere I've worked. That compassion is one of the great healing forces. You know, I, I you know I tell the story in the book and on my uh, Psychology Today blog about these two Sri Lankan girls I got to know. They're in the film that I that I made. Uh, and they both lost their fathers the same night. There was a massacre in their village. They live right on the front line. And one of them, their, her mother just couldn't tolerate grief, her own or anyone else's. And so she, she would become enraged at any sign of sadness or loss. And what it did is it, it functioned to keep her daughter's grief alive for years and years and years. Awesome. The other girl, Samantha, her mother was an unbelievably compassionate woman and made space for her daughter's grief and her own. And today, Samantha's really healed from this horrible loss. Mm -hmm. And I think the hard thing about compassion for all of us, and I'm no exception to this, to be compassionate, it means to open yourself up to someone else's experience, painful experience. Uh, and if you can do that, uh, then they're relieved. And for a brief time, you, you feel that pain, but then it lifts as well. Right. But it's a hard thing to open yourself up like that. You're right. It's also a healing thing. It is, and the theme of my show, Get the Funk Out, I'm talking to people all the time that either give advice on people that are going through a personal, you know, professional funk or actually share something. And one of the biggest insights I've had lately in talking to people and looking at themes is that you can't just push aside the pain you're in. You should walk through it and learn from it. I think I, there's nothing I could say that would capture it as beautifully as, as what you, you just, the way you put it. I, I, I do think sometimes I have a line from a Robert Frost poem that the, the only way out is through. Yes. Uh, and that's sort of been a guiding theme, and I think that sort of parallels what you just said. You know, when we run from our pain, it has a way of staying alive. I've seen this in therapy when I've worked with child abuse survivors and who run from their pain for 40 or 50, 60 years. And, and in, their, in their mind's eye, because they've never stopped to face it, they're still a six-year-old or an eight-year-old running from a horrible, horrible giant pain. Yes. And when you can help them turn and face it, it's remarkable how quickly it, it loses its intensity. Right, because too many times we walk around saying, I'm fine, it's okay, everything's great, mm -hmm. and it's not. <laughs> it, it's not, it's not, but it's remarkable too, how, and I guess you, you've really experienced this with, with your show. Yes. Once you create that space for people to open up to unburden themselves, it really does happen. They do unburden themselves, and they, they, the healing process begins. It doesn't always happen overnight. No. In fact, I'd say it doesn't usually happen overnight, but it begins, and that's what matters. Yes. Where can people find out more about you in this book? Sure. Um, my website is kennethemiller.com, 
And you can also from there find, you can find uh, reviews and comments and advanced praise for the book. You can also link from there to my uh, blog on Psychology Today, which is about refugees and war-affected people. I actually love that magazine, Psychology Today. It's great. I think what it does is it translates a lot of the research that's not very accessible to most folks into the kind of language that people can really connect to. And I've loved blogging for them precisely uh, because of that. Yes. I want to thank you so much for calling into the show, and I'll keep in touch with you. I, did you say you're on Twitter? Maybe you didn't mention that, or Facebook? I am on, I am on Twitter. It, uh, my my uh, handle is at Kenneth E. Miller. Perfect. And this show is recorded. All my shows are recorded. It'll be up on my blog within a few hours after I wrap. The blog wonderful. Is, the blog is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, and I'll send you a link. You are a wonderful interview, interviewer. Oh. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Again, that was Kenneth Miller calling in to talk about his book, War Torn. And if you missed any part of it, it will be up on my blog. We'll take a little break, and then we'll be back uh, with my last guest, Cheryl O'Loughlin.